My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Listen, there is no all clear signal in this market anymore. It can get decked one day, then hold on the next, then make a stunning recovery all before getting obliterated again like we saw today. Dow plunging 572 points. S&P plummeting 2.2%. NASDAQ nosediving 2.3%. Believe it or not, that's actually a recovery from lower prices earlier in the session. Gone are the days where you could say, aha, a tradable bottom. Or this is where I want to start buying because the market seems washed out. Let's put the money to work. No, it's all a vicious game of shoots and ladders now. Worse, this market is deceptive. It sucks you in with how strong it seems to be, but that strength is illusory. At today's opening, the averages look terrible. Then they rallied handily, and we're on the verge of turning from red to black. But if you bid at that hopeful mid-morning rebound, you got gaffed as surely as an unsuspecting striper chowing down on what appears to be a hapless minnow. Now, it's bait. So how the heck do you deal with this kind of environment? The key is to recognize that you're only human. Your sense of timing is going to be fallible. That's especially true with this current White House and a Federal Reserve that's now tightening. You can't presume anything other than a good chance that when you buy, when you buy, you're going to be wrong. If you left here yesterday at the closing bell smug in the belief that the president's tough on China policy might be taking a breather, you learned last night that Trump's up the ante in his trade fight. Seeking tariffs on another $100 billion of Chinese imports. It seemed like a bizarrely direct contradiction to the soothing words of his chief economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, who had been telling the media how the president is a free trader at heart. Lesson learned. Larry's a free trader at heart. Not the president. But you know what? It's okay that we don't have the ability to precisely identify bottoms. You just need to use what we call wide scales. In other words, you only put some money to work at any given level at any given time. Then hold back on buying more until you get a lower price that improves what we call your cost basis. I've been recommending this legging in process for ActionAlertsPlus.com club members. And while it is certainly tedious and definitely time consuming, it prevents you from taking too much risk all at once. allows you to get better prices because it builds in the element of panic while also husbanding cash, which we know has become the king in this volatile environment. In the end, you want panic working for you. Buy, 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 buy. Not against you. Sell, 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 the mercurial sell. nature of the president's negotiating style, coupled with his determination to tame China, even if it means hurting the earnings per share of our exporters and, and also, of course, hurting the spending power of our consumers. Well, it is a recipe for daily panic. 
That translates into lower prices, which is why you need to keep some cash available at all times. Take advantage of them. Higher cash position than usual people. Sure, today may seem like another successful retest of the lows. A lot of people thought it was, frankly. Something that takes us down near the level where we stopped going down before. Nevertheless, come on, a presidential tweet from those levels daring the Chinese to hit us with more retaliation or a Sunday night blast from China with some strategic tariffs that hit our largest capitalization stocks will make that floor look mighty weak. Which brings me to next week's game plan. First, I don't want to bury the lead, okay? So you should know that earnings season starts officially in earnest on Friday with all these major banks. But what we need to care about on Monday is China's reaction to the president's new proposal for slapping tariffs on $100 billion worth of Chinese merchandise. Will China retaliate with a tariff on the IFA? How about a Cummins engine? Caterpillars, earth movers? The Otis elevators of United Technologies? There are a lot of different ways they could hit us. What can I say? This is a very different market with controversies all over the place. It's a minefield. We just can't expect a quiet Monday when there's so much saber rattling on the part of our president. I expect China will announce some more duties of their own as retaliation this weekend or early next week. And that's likely to cause more turbulence. We thought for a moment today that maybe the glass was half full. Perhaps bombast on both sides won't really matter, and it's all for show. At the same time, we got a benign jobs number, not too hot, something that should have been, well, it's called a welcome break for new Fed chairman Jay Powell. Then the glass half-empty interpretation kicked in mid-morning. The employment number was weak, and when you add in the tough talk on China, it makes you feel like our economy is slowing and the tariffs will take a meat axe to world trade. It's a toxic combination, and unless we get some calming words from the White House or from Beijing, well, I expect a replay of today's action on Monday. On Tuesday, furniture maker Ethan Allen holds an analyst meeting. I want to know whether management believes there will be tariffs placed on Chinese furniture imports. We don't make as much furniture as we used to in this country. Why? Because it's so much cheaper to make the stuff in China. Ethan Allen is one of the few surviving domestic exceptions. It's been hurt by Chinese imports, but it stayed in business and even gotten to the point where it's exporting its own furniture to the People's Republic. This one, though, is right in the crosshairs of the whole debate. Unlike many retailers that rely on Chinese manufacturing for bargains, this company could theoretically be a huge beneficiary of any tariff on Chinese furniture imports. Hey, let's see what they have to say. We get the producer price index Tuesday and consumer price index Wednesday, and I think they're going to continue to show very little inflation, similar to what we got with the employment report today. Uh, That's another free pass for Pal. Whoa, he can take his time raising rates. We're already hearing, okay, on Wednesday, that Bed Bath & Beyond could report still one more weak number. Because many of its prices just aren't competitive with Amazon. If President Trump wants to know how Amazon crushes brick-and-mortar retailers, well, maybe he should listen to this conference call. I worry about Bed Bath because it's the type of enterprise that I used to go to all the time. I have one less than two miles from me. But now I just go to Amazon for everything I used to buy there. Thursday, we hear from BlackRock, the huge private equity firm and also mutual fund house that has enormous ETF business, mostly mostly uh, that's what we care about as mutual fund because they've got rid of a lot of private equity. I want to know whether investors are beginning to trim their equity holdings because of this newfound uncertainty. The asset class has gotten too risky for many people. Is there an abandoned ship attitude among sophisticated investors? BlackRock will know. Finally, Friday, we get results from the big boys, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and PNC. It's essential to this market that all four report good numbers. We want to hear about bountiful loan growth, steady reserves, possible increases in buybacks or dividends, and a sense of deregulation 
inflation is already producing some good results. The irony here is that the earnings reports we've been receiving of late, the one-off, so to speak, have almost all been fantastic. But these huge exogenous events have taken control of the narrative. So earnings season needs to be great if we're going to have any hope of, of balancing out the weakness caused by all the saber-rattling on trade. With the exception of Wells Fargo, which is in the penalty box in a major way, these banks should be able to tell fantastic stories. But if they can't do that, let's just say it's going to be one long earnings season. Bottom line, here's the deal. 2018 is a year of intense controversy and erratic news flow, with a president who's no longer as friendly to the stock market as, the, as he once was. In other words, be on your toes. Carry a lot of cash. Let these endless panics give you better prices on the way down. Better prices than you might otherwise deserve. Let's go to Mark in New Jersey. Mark. Hi, Jim. Just wanted to ask a question about BX. The stock shows a, a dividend of about a little over 8%, and I know you say that's a red flag. want to know what you think of that stock. And what uh, okay. I, I, look, that's, a, that, that's about a distribution. And I'm glad we talked about Blackstone because when I mentioned Black. Rock earlier, I really just meant to say this to the ETF. This is the pr- private equity part. This, they're separate companies. I happen to believe in Steven Schwartzman. No, they didn't get that Abington High named after Schwartzman. That happened to be the uh, Jason School District. But I will say that it's been a good investment that we've been recommending for a long time. Not great, but good, and I would stick with it. Bob in New York. Bob. Hello, Jim. Bob, what's up? Jim, about a week ago, you mentioned that you aggressively bought PayPal based on Schulman's story. Now that the 800-pound gorilla Amazon has indicated they are interested in competing with Venmo, has this changed your outlook at no, all about PayPal? No, as a matter of fact, we bought some PayPal for the charitable trust. We told ActionAlertsPlus.com club members, look, okay, this is you know, the stock is down a lot. Will Amazon come in against Venmo and hurt Venmo? Venmo, they don't even monetize yet. I will tell you this. The idea that I want to speak into Alexa and tell her to send $100 to my friend versus actually entering it in my phone, I don't know. I mean, I love voice recognition, but do you mind? It's money. Ryan in Washington, Ryan. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of course. Hey, so uh, my question is about Take-Two Interactive. I think it's got a lot of positive catalysts coming later this year with Red Dead um, and other game franchises. So with Take-Two being a highly volatile stock, um, is it time to buy more with this dip? I, 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 heard, I don't know if you heard Strauss Zelnick. He was on our network the other day. He was talking terrific th- things about uh, about esports. My problem is this. It's become crowded. There's three publicly traded ones, but there's a lot of other companies that are literally coming up with new games. So while I like esports, I think we got to let this group come in a little. It's too volatile. Look, the president's no longer that friendly to stocks. So stay on your toes. Carry some cash. Be ready to buy slowly on the way down. Slowly. And remember, we will get through this together. Oh, man, money tonight. Tariff jitters have rippled through this market. Does it mean you should be trading in Apple for Applebee's? I'll give you my yes, facetious take on that. Then the obituary for retail has been written many times. But there's always a bull market somewhere. And tonight, I'm on the hunt for winners, even in this battle-worn space. Plus, what does the market's fear index tell us about how long this turmoil could last? Tonight, I turn to the technicals to see if the charts can give us an unemotional opinion on the state of this market. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
On a day when the S&P sheds over 2%, I want you to understand how hedge fund managers think. Now, I don't want you to be one. No, not at all. I just want to explain what they are up to at this moment. So let me tell you how many of them are approaching the current trade war with China and, of course, trying to profit from it. These hedge funds are putting on what we call a, our pair trades. They're betting against one company with huge Chinese exposure and, and going along a similar company with little to no Chinese business in our country. The idea is that whatever the industry, the stock with China exposure is going to perform worse than the one without it. Pretty logical when you consider this increasingly nasty war of words. Now, obviously, it's hard to predict what will happen when you pit the author of the art of the deal against guys who've been studying Sun Tzu's The Art of War for their whole lives. In economic terms, we can hurt China more than they can hurt us. I know that. You know that. But in political terms, an authoritarian regime has a big advantage over a democratically elected one. So there's no predicting the winner, although we know the president will pronounce himself the victor regardless. The issue here is that the president is okay with hurting American companies that do business in the People's Republic. He has started to acknowledge just now that these companies may need to make some sacrifices because it's the only way to teach Chinese, uh, China government how to play fair. He just said the stock market's up about 40% since he came in. So it's not like this is the end of the world. And let's be honest, he did just give corporate America a gigantic tax cut. The problem with that statement, though, is that it implies there will be actual repercussions, earnings per share repercussions. And that is something we're not prepared for from this trade spat, which means hedge fund managers are going to shoot first and ask questions later. So let me tell you what I think they're going to do or started to do today. But before I get into specifics, I want to make it clear that I am not advocating this strategy for home gamers. I'm not. I don't even agree with many of the underlying assumptions. This is a piece about showing you how the game is played. And first, what I would do is I would look at the restaurant business. We know that Yum! Brands split into Yum! China and Yum! Everywhere Else. These two companies trade at roughly similar price-to-earning multiples, or P.E. multiples. Seems like they almost created a separation for a hedge fund pair trade. The pros can short Yum China and go long Yum. If things escalate, it wouldn't surprise me if the PRC slaps some duties on Yum China or, or their state-run media starts going after Pizza Hut or KFC. It wouldn't be the first time, and when the Chinese press goes to town on Yum China, as they did once with the KFC division, it tends to really kill the numbers. On the other hand, Yum! Brands is doing fabulously in the rest of the world with a possible turn at Pizza Hut, still early there, and steady numbers from surprising Taco Bell. Put them together, and you've got the making of one of the greatest pair trades involving China. Second, if we put tariffs on Chinese machinery, a likely target, by the way, because we import so much, I know many hedge fund managers who believe that China will do the same to Caterpillar. Caterpillar, and perhaps as early as next week. Hey, maybe Sunday night. So these funds would short Caterpillar stock and go long the stock of United Rentals, the domestic player that rents out heavy equipment. You still get the benefit of strong sales and infrastructure spending in America. However, United Rentals doesn't use CATS equipment, so it's not an exact pairing. Still, I can see people doing this even if, as I think it's a very dangerous trade because if Trump can settle with the Chinese, or even if it simmers down, Caterpillar stock will take off, as the company's doing very well worldwide. All right, how about this one? Coffee. Now, the chief growth engine of worldwide company Starbucks, Starbucks happens to be China. 
Okay, that's where the real growth is. Personally, I doubt the Chinese would ever retaliate against Starbucks because it's a huge employer that pays its workers well and has a highly respected brand. But if they get really, really angry, then here's, here's what you'll see. You'll see managers go short Starbucks and go along, say, Dunkin' Brands or McDonald's as the Golden Arches sold a controlling interest in this Chinese business last year. A triple bente cappuccino with skim tariff. Now, wouldn't that be something? Now, I made a joke earlier today on Squawk on the Street. I said, maybe it's time to go long Applebee's and short Apple if President Trump's really pressing the bet here. Of course, I was being facetious. I mean, right? You know? But Apple has a lot of China exposure, and Applebee's is owned by the very domestic dime brands. I could see China. I hate to even put him in the same sentence, but come on, let's have some fun here. I see China going after Apple simply because it's the largest American stock, so it would hurt us in the pocketbook, even as it would make no sense economically since so many Apple products are are made in China. Still, the point I was making stands. Right now, we have a president who doesn't seem to care about what American companies he hurts, including Apple, while trying to get China to change its behavior. For managers who expect to protract a trade war, these paired trades make sense. For home gamers, I think the strategy is way too risky. If Trump manages to make a deal with the Chinese, these stocks will become what we call crowded shorts, and you'd be annihilated, which is one reason we never recommend short selling or mint money. But if you want to understand how the trade war is going, watch Yum China versus uh, Yum. Uh, United Reynolds versus Cat, Starbucks versus Dunkin', and even the facetious, fatuous, I'll be, come on, hilarious, Apple versus Applebee's. Much more mad money yet. With so many worries in this market, I'm eyeing the bright spots. Hey, why not? Come on, I eyed the negatives yesterday. Everyone said, what are you being so negative for? Well, guess what? Don't miss my take on the renaissance in the apparel space of all places. Then could tough tariff talk have a lasting impact in your portfolio? Let me go off the charts, see what the technicals are saying, signaling about this market. It'll surprise you. And another brutal decline today across the averages. I'm eyeing one company that's up over 100% since it's August 2016 IPO. And you may have never heard of it. I'll reveal the name just ahead. Look, you know me. On a really bad day, it's important to remember that not everything is terrible. Some things are actually going right and will work out. Yep, we've got some encouraging themes here. If you have the intestinal fortitude to look for them, even when the market's getting put through the wood chipper, with a wood chipper like Steve Buscemi, yeah, in Fargo. Tonight, we need to address the unlikeliest of these themes, something you can fall back on if we keep getting slammed. I'm calling it the U.S. apparel renaissance. Yet we've gotten a series of strong numbers from the apparel makers and apparel-focused retailers. And while their stocks have performed remarkably well in a rocky market, I think they've got much more room to run and deserve to be bought in any weakness like we had today. After a needed shakeup of many players, including some bankruptcies that we've seen to get, we got another one today. The remaining ones are in bull market mode. And you know. Like I say at the end of every show, there's always a bull market somewhere. What makes me so confident we're experiencing a rent renaissance in the apparel business? All right, why don't we do this? Let's tick through these cheerful stories on a gloomy day and go one by one. You know what we're going to do? We're going to start with the biggest of the bunch, Nike. For most of 2016 and 2017, this stock was a real shoe dog. 
But over the past six months, it has come back with a vengeance. Nike stock gained more than 20% in the fourth quarter, and it's put on another 10% just year to date. The reason? Okay, part of the problem with Nike for the last couple of years was that its footwear division had come under fire from Under Armour and then a reinvigorated Adidas. Footwear has gone better, has gotten better. But as we learned in the conference school two weeks ago, it's apparel that's really driving things right now. That's right. CEO Mark Parker, one of my absolute faves, called out apparel as a major source of strength and indicated that he sees this strength continuing for quite some time. Here's a little snippet that he told us in the conference school that I just love. And I quote, We are one of the largest apparel companies in the world. I think our strength comes from both our performance position and how we leverage that across sportswear. So actually, we're very excited about some of the performance innovation coming in apparel, end quote. Hey, when you look at the numbers, they bear out. Nike's footwear sales rose 5% in the latest quarter. Apparel, 13% clip. Next up. Uber Kramer fave PVH, the parent of Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. Over the last 12 months, this stock has gained more than 50%. PVH has been crushing it now for a while. But when the company uh, last reported a little over a week ago, it became clear that these guys are just completely on fire. Get this. Calvin Klein, up 23%. Tommy Hilfiger, up 22%. Okay, some of it came from a weak dollar, but give me a break. Those are great. Not only were the actual results phenomenal, but management forecasted high double-digit growth for the next quarter. Who has that anymore? We just had CEO Manny Chirico on the show last week, and he painted a very positive picture. At this point, we've been chasing inventory. We're going into growth. I think we're planning the first quarter of next year up high double digits. High uh, double digits, Manny. High teens. And Manny, we've really been around for a long time. I don't think we've ever heard that that's what you're planning for. Uh, really having a – the fourth quarter you touched on, and it seems like we're really set up for the first quarter halfway through it uh, in very strong position. Wow. Hey, do you think it's rude that I look at the papers when I'm asking them questions? But sometimes i got to do that. I mean, it's called homework. And look, it's not just the pure play apparel makers that are agnostic about where they sell their stuff. Even retail chains like Lululemon are firing on all cylinders. Last Tuesday, Lulu delivered a complete blowout. I mean, two weeks ago, it delivered a complete blowout quarter. It sent its stock up 15% over the next couple of days, so no wonder. Revenue up 18% year over year, with a lot of that coming from the web. Really, their e-commerce strategy is so good. Great earnings. Guidance was substantially higher than Wall Street was looking for. As CFO Stuart Hazelin explained on the conference call, 2018 is looking very good so far, with store traffic accelerating and same-store sales up sequentially. At at the same time, many formerly downtrodden apparel plays are making major comebacks as they return to growth mode. A year ago, many of these stocks were considered untouchable. Now they're beloved. you got Michael Kors, the maker of luxury apparel, handbags, shoes, and accessories. Stocks up nearly 75% of the last 12 months. They're killing it and ready to wear women's apparel, men's outerwear, sweaters, and the stuff's not cheap. Or how about Ralph Lauren? When was the last time I talked about that? And for a time, that was an even worse performer than Coors. Yet, just like Coors, Ralph Lauren's roaring it. It's, it's up 40% over the past year. Now, the company's still struggling in many respects. Its overall sales were down 4% in the latest quarter. But that's still a huge improvement for RL. In the same quarter a year ago, its sales were down 12%. And when you listen to management talk about some of their initiatives to turn these around, it sounded plausible uh, that they could drill down and improve their execution much better than I thought. More important, many of their categories are doing quite well. Sales trends improved for Polo, their largest brand, and their denim business is on fire. Then there's... Tapestry. 
the artist formerly known as Coach. That's right, things got so bad for the old coach that the company had to change his name. And you know what? The stock's up 18% year-to-date, so maybe they're on to something. Tapestry has changed a lot in the last few years. Buying high-end shoemaker Stuart Weitzman in 2015, I could say stealing in 2015. Picking up rival handbag maker Kate Spade last year. I could say stealing that too. The core handbag and accessories business are picking up. But CEO Victor Luis, I got to tell you, he's a true turnaround artist, called out ready to wear apparel on the conference call. is really special. Now, here's one that no one's thinking about at all. Urban Outfitters. It's been roaring. Do you know this is up 72% over the past 12 months? It's up 10% for the year. It's a big short name too, and they're all wrong. These guys are incredibly enthusiastic about the apparel renaissance. As CEO Richard Hain on the last conference call said, this was a major, they talk about a major change in fashion, the kind of, of silhouette people prefer, and that's huge. He tells us that, get this, I quote, typically in a macro change like this, in a change of silhouette, my experience is that it lasts anywhere from 7 to 12 years. The last time we had a change, I think, was 2006, 2007. And so most of the benefit to us, sure, we consider ourselves a fashion leader, accrues in the first half of that period before there's a widespread adoption and lots of folks copy. And so I would expect it to benefit us for anywhere from three to seven years. I, I, I don't know, six or seven years. I mean, that's what he said. It was, you know, end quote. Holy cow, three to seven years. I mean, jeez. That'd be fantastic. Then there's, there's the VF Corp. There's a house of apparel brands, including North Face, Timberlands, Van, uh, Timberland, Vans, Wrangler, Lee. They just got rid of Nautica, by the way. I think that was a good move. Since bottoming in February of last year, VF has made a ferocious comeback. It's up really 58% since hitting those lows. And that's after the recent pullback following up what I call a complicated quarter. But the core apparel business is in good shape, with sales of VF Corp. Top three brands up 8% in the latest quarter, powered in part by real strength, yes, overseas, just like PVH. Finally, given all this strength in apparel, I wouldn't be surprised if even Under Armour can make a comeback. Now that CEO Kevin Plank is once again focused laser-like on his core business rather than some side projects, as he told us when he came on the show recently, and what I have to tell you, when I look back at it, I think he made a cold shot for the company's return to greatness. So far, it's working. Oh, and if you're worried about Chinese sourcing and tariffs, these companies are all remarkably adept at shifting business to the cheapest offshore factories. In truth, for ages, China's been losing textile jobs to places like Vietnam where the labor's cheaper. But here's the bottom line. Don't let a day like today scare you away from the stories that are actually working. We are undergoing an apparel renaissance here in the U.S., and these stocks are worth picking at into any weakness that we might get on Monday, because right now they have the best fundamentals of any large group in the entire stock market. Let's go to George in Ohio. George. Yeah, I was just uh, wondering about the Walmart stock uh, with the tariffs going on. They, uh, they import a lot from China. Um, and I didn't know if the stock was still going to be a stable stock for at least the next maybe three to five years. I have a 12-year investment in there, and I was just getting concerned a little bit. All right, George, you're going to need that time. I, and you're right to mention the China sourcing. We're always concerned about that. And then, uh, Walmart is a – but they'll tell you most of it's come from America, their business, but a lot of that's grocery. Remember, they're the world's – they're the country's largest grocer. Here's what you need to know. There was a dramatic deceleration in the e-commerce portfolio uh, uh, profile this quarter. I mean, dramatic. And it freaked everybody out. That's why that stock went down so much. And I don't see it necessarily picking up. I do like other retailers more than that. Okay. Much more mad money ahead after a brutal decline today. I'm tackling the technicals. Yeah, special off the charts Friday. Get a sense of what the future could hold for this market, and it's surprising. Then looking for a home in the retail space? I may have a play that could pay, and it's not a pow. Oil your calls also rapid fire, of course, in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with 
Kramer. Another day, another sell-off? After a brutal day where we got slammed by a further escalation in our trade war with China, not to mention a weak employment number, I think we need to do a special Friday off the charts and take this market's temperature. And when the averages are falling apart, the thing to focus on is the CBOE, or CBOE's, volatility index, the VIX for short, also known as the fear gauge, which was so heavily tied to the big breakdown in February. So let's check in with our resident VIX expert, Mark Sebastian. He is a brilliant technician who is the founder of OptionPit.com, as well as being my colleague at RealMoney.com, the paid site for the street.com, to find out if we have a repeat of February's VIX-motivated horror show on our hands. Remember, the volatility index is a real good proxy for the overall level of terror and trepidation in the market. It surges when investors panic. It goes down when investors are relaxed and happy. Not too much of that lately. Today, it roared higher again, up over 13%. The stock suffered yet another nasty sell-off. That's the old linkage. But beyond that, we still have lots of traders who like to short the VIX through various instruments with borrowed money as they go long or own the S&P 500. That's the ultimate bullish bet. And whenever the VIX spikes against them, they end up having to unwind their positions in the S&P to meet their margin calls. I saw that happen between 1 and 2 today. And that's what killed us, by the way, in early February. And while it's no longer the main driver of the decline, it does act as a kind of accelerant, throwing fuel in the fire of any sell-off. So what does Mark Sebastian think of our current predicament. Okay, get ready for a surprise. Long story short, he thinks the action in the VIX is signaling that we might be bottoming, bottoming, despite today's horrendous action. What makes Sebastian think that this action is less worrisome than it might seem at first glance? First, I want you, we're going to look at some charts here. First, take a look at this, this pair of charts, the S&P 500 and the volatility index since the beginning of the year. We know this market caught fire in January, okay? Uh, it, It peaked at the end of January. We know that it, it's become very challenging since then. Yet, if you look uh, at this VIX, you might have known what was going to happen. You could have seen the February house of pain coming. Sebastian is all about using the volatility index to figure out where the S&P might be headed. In other words, it's not coincident, it's future looking. Normally, uh, when one goes up, the other goes down, vice versa. When that typical correlation falls apart or breaks down, it often means that the market is about to change its trajectory, according to Sebastian. And that's exactly what happened in January. The S&P kept making new all-time highs, okay? But the VIX, the VIX was, was actually creeping higher right along with it. In other words, while the market was rising, the fear level was rising, too. In the first three weeks of January, the VIX climbed from 9 to 11. That's a 20% increase, while the S&P put on 130 points. According to Sebastian, this was a major red flag. The VIX should not be rallying 20% when the market's on fire because the VIX is based on option prices. It shows that there was some very strong demand for hedging. Some people were getting real nervous. And when the benefit of hindsight, well, The nervous Nellies were right. When the S&P finally broke down at the beginning of February, the VIX surged to around 40. This was that amazing move that was aided by some of that short selling I was talking about. Uh, And we ended up having the first serious sell-off since 2015. We finally bottomed on February 9th, uh, not coincidentally the day before my birthday. Uh, But things have, have since been pretty choppy. Every time this market seems like it's on the verge of getting its groove back, we break down again and we retest those February lows. Happened last week. Happened today. 
So why is Sebastian so adamant that we may be forming a bottom here? Because just like how the VIX was behaving strangely in January, well, it's now doing the same. We've seen the S&P test the February lows four times now in the last two weeks. But each time the volatility index came nowhere near its February highs. Sebastian points out that it's only touched 26 twice. Even with today's big meltdown, it barely broke above 23. Yep, even when the market got crushed, the fear gauge doesn't go off the charts. I mean, shouldn't it be doing that? It isn't. Just as important, this situation looks very similar to the bottom in 2015. Old enough to remember that. Take a gander at these two charts from back then, the S&P over the volatility index. Okay, When the S&P broke down in August of 2015 during the Chinese stock market crash, the VIX spikes to about 50, all right? Uh, but two months later, when the S&P retests those earlier lows off the mini debt ceiling crisis in Washington, the VIX peaks at 30. After that, what happened? The S&P came roaring back at a monster run. If we follow that pattern from 2015, Sebastian wouldn't be surprised if the S&P 500 can climb from its current level of 2,604 back to 2,800 at a minimum. Call that man bullish. He also likes what he's seeing in the VIVIX, the V-V-I-X, which measures the volatility of the VIX itself. People love this stuff. Take a look at this pair of charts, the volatility index in the VIVIX. Notice that while the VIX itself has been making uh, lower highs, okay, this is the VIX, the VIVIX has just been going lower, despite a little jump today. For Sebastian, this is a sign of the panic abating, and it means, well, it makes him think we could be headed for a real run higher. Is anyone else even talking like this? Don't you think it's interesting? In short, even with all of the sturm and drang lately, Sebastian believes we may have already bottomed, and the recent pain is simply the market retesting its lows before working its way higher. My fear, my fear is that this situation looks similar to 2015 because they could go the other way. Back then, China stabilized the stock market through some heavy-handed state intervention. Congress solved the debt ceiling issue. This time, it's escalating trade war with China. I mention this because 2015 could have played out very differently if China had allowed its stock market to keep falling and Congress had actually let America default its obligations. I know, unthinkable. We needed a resolution before we could rally again. If Sebastian's right that the current situation is analogous, well, then we could keep protesting these lows until we finally reach some kind of resolution with the Chinese government. It could be torturous. Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by Mark Sebastian suggests you need to look past the vertigo-inducing day-to-day action and focus on the fact that the lows keep holding. Based on the calmer behavior of the volatility index, he thinks we may have already bottomed, and a rally could be right around the corner. And I checked with him all day today. I think it's important to keep in mind, even as I continue to recommend caution in the face of endless, torturous games of shoots and ladders that stranger things have happened. Mad Money is back after the break. It is time. It is time for a special Dow Down 572 points lightning round on Mad Money. What's that about? Rob Parkwood, one of the same songs. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Dad, over the lightning round. Crazy round to start with Rick in California. Rick. Yo, yo. This is Rick from Lake Isabella up in the Southern Sierra. Bye, you are uh, dog. I used to What's work up? for Western Airlines, so I always own an airline. And like you, I, I played Southwest for the last few years, but I discovered this other airline last year. Uh, 
It's been the best airline for three and a half years now. It's what they call a feeder airline. It feeds American, United, All right, all right. What would, that, what would that airline be there, Rick? And it's called SkyWest Airlines. It's a good airline. It's a good airline. Now, i got to tell you, don't be greedy. And I do like the fact that the group has come down a lot. You know, I am a Southwest Air guy, but I like that. Let's go to Yitzi in California. Yitzi. Hey, Jim. What's going on? Yitzi here from Los Angeles post-earthquake. Thanks for having me on the show. Thrilled that you're on. Short and sweet, Blackberry's down more than 16%. That's okay. We like the intellectual property. We like the turn that fell in that chin doesn't get enough credit. All right, let's go to Ron in Wisconsin. Ron. Hey, Jim. Love your show. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. How about you, Ron? Hey, not bad. I got some uh, shares on Apache, uh, good old Apache oil. You know, Uh, I got to tell you, my my capital trust sold Apache. We didn't do good on it at all. The stock has made a little bit of a comeback. Uh, it's, it's got natural gas and oil. I don't know. I mean, I just don't like the fossil fuel stocks. What can I say? I just don't like them. Let's go to Nick in New Jersey. Nick. Jimbo, booyah. You're such a beast. I love it. Wow, a beast. I don't know. The wife might not like that, but that's all right. What's going on? Jim, I got a question about CWH. I started buying the shares at 29 bucks. I thought I was a champ. The thing is getting smashed. What should I do? Well, that's been smoked. The way we have to solve that, we have to have Marcus Lamonis on the show. I'm pointing to my executive producer, Regina Gillis. We got to get, get Lamonis. You're right. You agree. She agrees. I agree. We're all good. Rob in my home state of New Jersey. Rob. Wall Street booyah, Jim. Yes. Listen, What's shaking? You got it. Listen, you got to understand, I lost a lot of money this week at my FDs on AMD and Micron, all right? I want to get out of tech, all right? I'm looking for something tiny, something priced into the trade war. So what are your thoughts on, like, Philip Morris? Okay, we actually discussed this. My chapter trust, we sold a lot of tech last week. We just had enough, enough, enough. But I'm not going to recommend a tobacco stock on it. I've been t- uh, there are too many guys who are actually working on products right now that will make it so there will be a cessation of smoke. And don't forget, it is the single biggest cause of death that we could control. So I'm not recommending the stocks. New position, I know. I don't care. Susan in Louisiana. Susan. Hey, booyah. You're awesome. Um, I was calling about PetsNet Express, P-E-T-S. I like PetsNet, more. but i got to tell you, I like the more, I like that far more. Uh, stop it. I like IDEX more. Uh, Ayers is terrific. And i got to tell you, see Zoetis on the other day with, uh, with Ramona Likes? I think that one is really, really good. I'm not done. I'm going to Paul in Illinois. Paul. Hey, Jim, I'm a new investor. Started doing research and watched your show, and I looked at high dividend stock, and I looked at Iron Mountain. I did some purchase, but I want to know, with, because of cloud services now, where do you see the it's stock going bad, for the long bad, term? But, you know, look, a 7% yield will not prevent you against if interest rates do tick up, but you'll collect that income, and it's a better income producer than most. But I got to tell you, not my cup of tea, you real estate investment trust. Just not there. As we know, from even when Ventas is so good, it's not doing well. How about we go to Mary in Florida? Mary. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Mary. Mary G here. Great grandma home trader from Cape Canaveral, Florida. Can you beat that? And I'm that? a long-term fan, and I Can... follow your advice. Thank you. My, my question is Novarta, NVS. I Novartis bought it a year is good. ago at Novartis is good. There's no doubt about it. Have you looked at uh, GlaxoSmithKline lately? Wow. I got to tell you, I like that one more. 6% yield. This Emma Walmsley is turning the industry upside down. She's doing a lot of right stuff. I prefer you to be in that. And that. Ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the... Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
even on tough days today, I'm out here trying to do my job. That means I'm trying to find stocks that can work in this particular environment. So what's the upside, say, of a tepid labor report that we got this morning? How about this? Nobody's worried about a sharp, quick rise in interest rates, which have been the big knock on all the home builders and the housing-related retailers. Consider at home, and that symbol is home, the home decor superstore chain that came public less than two years ago. At home has been a huge hit. It's up roughly 125% since its IPO, and the stock held up very well today. It was down only 1%, despite the hideous across-the-board declines. You know, in fact, get this, home hit an all-time intraday high. Here's a company with more than 150 locations that's doing very well. When at home reported two weeks ago, it was a fabulous top and bottom line beat. Very strong 5.7% same-store sales growth, bullish for Forecast. So let's take a closer look with Lee Burns, the chairman and CEO of At Home, get a better sense of how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Burns, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank Re- you. Mies report, one of the most glowing I've read by Jeffries. It starts by saying, home stands out in the home furnishing space with high unit growth, strong new store productivity, and healthy same store sales, reflecting improved merchandising and brand awareness. How are you able to do that in what is many people think is a tired category? Well, we focus on the customer. So we're the home decor superstore. We have 50,000 items in our store, 500 new a week at prices below everybody else's sales price. Including Amazon. Yes. Indeed. So how are you able to do that? I mean, below Wayfair, according to your reports. How indeed. can you do this? Indeed. Well, we, we focus on having a very efficient supply chain. Okay. It's private label, private branded. So we're not paying other brands as well. And we have a very efficient labor model, low-cost real estate. And so that's how we keep our prices low. Low-cost real estate, from what I've read, when we hear about malls in trouble, when we hear about real estate investment trusts closing the doors of some of these, this is your opportunity for cheap real estate. It is. It's fantastic for us. We, we, most of our stores are second-generation real estate. So when other cor- stores close, we see that as an opportunity. Most people aren't competing against us for real estate as well, so we can get low prices. Right. And, then, uh, and we've got the deepest pipeline we've ever seen. We have 150 stores, but we can get to 600 stores nationwide. Okay, so you, got the, you, have, the, uh, you have a long runway of new stores, yep. and you're doing mid-single-digit comps in an environment where most people are doing one to two. So, again, that is value yes. and treasure hunt feel? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Our customers come in. We have all the styles of home decor. Right. So everybody can come in, shop together. And we focus on all demographics, but honestly, the millennials have been a, a part we've leaned into. Okay. Over a third of our customers are under the age of 30. It's the fastest growing segment of ours, and we try to hit every life chapter for folks. Okay, now they like bargains, they uh, but I see where you source, that some of your sourcing is from overseas. So today, uh, you President Trump's talking about bigger tariffs on yep. China. Let's say an appreciable amount of, of our trade deficit with China happens to be furniture. Mm-hmm. What happens if he puts on big tariffs on furniture. Do you have a way to switch quickly? We do. We've been watching this closely for a number of years, ever since border adjustment tax and so on. Right. In fact, so the most recent uh, tariffs, only 16 of our 50,000 items are t- touched by the tariffs. So we're essentially untouched most recently. But we've got a very efficient supply chain. We've just moved to direct sourcing. That's going to grow. Okay. We know where our footprint is. We've been moving and migrating to Vietnam and the Philippines and oh, Thailand okay. and, and, and so on. So we have, we have opportunities to be very nimble. All right. Well, one of the things that I, I was... Uh, quite impressed by, is you have a different online strategy. You're, you're not trying to recreate. You're not trying to compete directly with Amazon, but you are still using uh, flyers. You're still mm-hmm. using direct mail, yep. but you have it, a very efficient website. It does direct you to the stores, though. People are okay with that. We do. Yeah, we carry all of our assortment online, so you can pre-shop. We all pre-shop. We all right. go online right. to see where we should shop. 
We have 50,000 items online. It's on a demandware platform. You can see it. You can see the dimensions of it. You use demandware? Yes, we do, yep. I was going to ask you about CRM next. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. So we've got a great platform, and then our customers know what we have, and they can compare it against anybody, and then come to our store and buy it. Well, you do reference in your conference call that big data is important to you. Now, a lot of the old line furniture stores would never even know what big data is. Right. Yeah. No, we want to get a better relationship with our customer, and so we've added a loyalty program. We now right. have 1.5 million members of our loyalty program, and we just started last August. Yeah. So we're just getting started on that one. Well, I've got to tell you, it's quite impressive, and I'm really glad you're on tonight. I'll tell you why. Because I'm trying to stress domestic companies, all right, mm-hmm. not going to have a problem um, with the tariff in China. You said you're going to source away. Yeah. They have millennials that like it with an experiential value proposition. Yeah. And I've got to tell you, you're, only, you're one of a handful. Yep. So I want to congratulate you for Thank what you're you doing. So That's Lee Bird, Chairman, President, and CEO of, of At Home, which is simple, by the way, H-O-M-E. Intraday high today, all-time high. That's my kind of stock. Stick with Kramer. Luster, bombast, we don't really know. And that's real problem. And that's why I'm saying keep some cash. We've got a lot of cash for the trust, almost the most we've ever had. I can't do that and not tell you to do the same thing. Now, here's what really matters. We're going to get through this together, okay? It's just like all the other bad times. We're going to get through together. We're actually going to make a little money. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday!